WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson talking transit again this week. Last week, the mayor pro tem appeared here on Flashpoint calling for a regional approach to what's called the Transformational Mobility Network. It's a sweeping plan that includes rails, roads, buses and a lot more. A plan being spearheaded by the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. But critics say some stakeholders are being left out. Coming up, more on a small delegation that went to Raleigh this past week, hoping to get more buy-in from state lawmakers. But first, cities and towns across the Carolinas held elections this week. And across the country, a few high-profile races served as barometers for the national mood. Joining us today, Republican strategist Larry Shaheen, a self-described urban conservative. So we thought he might be a good person to talk to about the elections of the past week and sort of his opinions of how things happened. Um, let, let me get just that, your reaction to uh, sort of nationally speaking, um, what the national mood is. Well, you know, Senator Mitch McConnell said it best on the floor. I think at this point, the Democrats need to take pause and start to reevaluate exactly what their strategy is in terms of uh, where they want the country to go. I mean, rising inflation, rising prices, you know, issues with education, uh, all those things were, were, were issues in the Virginia election. And when Glenn Youngkin uh, was able to successfully navigate that, I mean, when you look at the swings, you're talking about double-digit margins swinging back to Republicans in suburban communities. And there's a great article in the National Review written by John Hood talking about how the suburbs are now back in play and how suburban Republicans are going to have an outsized voice in the party and if, if there's going to be a path to victory. Um, so ultimately, from my takeaway on this was that, you know, basic breakfast table issues, economy, education, whether or not parents have a say in what's going on. I mean, look, we can, we can take that back here to Charlotte Mecklenburg. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Nick Oshner just had a report the other day on what's going on in our school systems. I mean, at some point or another, there needs to be a discussion about whether this is what's best for our kids and what's best for our parents and what's best for our communities. And, you know, elites in Washington and New York and L.A. have had far too much of an outsized say on policy over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. And I think there's a definitely going to be a, 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 a reckoning, if you will. And, and if the Democrats aren't careful, they'll think that 2010 was, was a light little bump in the road. Because if these numbers hold, it's going to be an absolute red wave coming for them in 2022. What's it say about Trumpism? Well, I think Glenn Youngkin navigated that perfectly. He didn't even talk about the president during the general election because you know what? We don't need to talk about the president. And I've been openly on record with the fact that I don't think that President Trump should be the nominee in 2024. I think that this win in Virginia gives Republicans a roadmap to be able to move forward in this country without the former president at the lead. Because at the end of the day, people want to see a message of hope. Glenn Youngkin presented a wonderful message of hope change and how we can create a better opportunity for all individuals of all races and creeds of all religions and how we can do that equally with equality not equity with ways forward where all individuals have the opportunity to succeed in this country that is the message republicans have been successful with for years and years and years and it's a message that we have to get back to okay let's talk transit because this past week i know you were part of a delegation with with councilman tark bakari went up to raleigh talked to state lawmakers up there uh to talk to them about transit because uh you you feel that they've been sort of left out of this equation now if i had if i had certain other members of city council on here they would say that that's not the case but i know i, I know you feel strongly about this and, and so you guys went up there trying to make uh trying to get some buy-in when it comes to this transit situation because we know it's going to take 
not only Charlotte, but all the surrounding towns, um, as well as the support of folks up in Raleigh. It's going to take everybody to, to be involved in this. Well, that, that, that's exactly right, Ben. And I'll tell you, the takeaway from, from the trip was, was, was how fantastically received we were. Uh, they, are, they want to work with, this, with our community and they want to work with the city of Charlotte. But it's very important to them that Charlotte not design this thing and come up with the funding structure all on their own and then bring it to them and ask them to approve it. That kind of puts them in a box. What our legislators want to do is be a part of the process and engage. And what, what I think is probably going to be the best solution is going to be a business uh, group that is organized in conjunction with state legislators, our city council members, and folks here on the ground who are going to be working together to come up with a funding solution and a transit and transportation solution that is comprehensive. With respect to the city, I can understand how a lot of folks in the city think that they need to drive the bus, but we are a Dillon rule state and the legislature is going to have to say. So we have to make sure to have buy-in from them from the beginning, not at the end, because just putting them in a box and asking them to check yes or no is not how we're gonna get this done. And I can guarantee you, it's the way for this process to fail. Um, that said, I, as you know, I had the mayor pro tem on uh, last week talking about the same issue, and, and she said that, that it's, it's been a very, her words, organic, methodical issue that, that that's going to require everyone in the region. Um, but you don't think that's what's happening. That might be what's, what some people are saying, but you don't feel like that's what's actually happening. Well, I know that's not what's happening because the folks in Raleigh haven't been engaged. And for them to be engaged, they have to be at the table. And this is the one the thing we have to remember. All, if we're talking about a truly regional transit solution, the Silver Line, which is a vast majority of it in Charlotte, can't be what goes first. The Red Line was promised to the voters of North Mecklenburg, and they've been paying transit taxes for well over 20 years. So for Charlotte to sit here and say, well, we need all this money for the Silver Line, and we'll talk about the Red Line, but if we can't do it, we can't do it, isn't, isn't right. We, they have to honor their commitment to the people of North Mecklenburg, the towns of Davidson, Cornelius, Huntersville, and Mooresville. So for us to be able to talk about this, we have to have them at the table which means we also have to have state senators and state legislators in the House who are going to be working to help create the solution and so that there's buy-in. I mean, you tell me this, Ben. At the end of the day, if you're talking about people trying to buy into a system, wouldn't it be far better to have them help craft a plan that they own and that they're a part of as opposed to having them be a part of it on the back end? The reason that Charlotte wants to be you know, the creator of this is so they can own it and so they can actually get a yes or a no. That won't fly. I know for a fact the legislature won't let that happen. So we need to be able to have diverse voices of a bipartisan makeup who are going to be able to own this from the beginning and are going to be able to go up there with one voice in lockstep, being able to say, okay, we know that this plan, which was crafted and created by legislators and the local communities, are going to be able to pass so that we have people who have buy-in. We have to make sure that Charlotte remembers it is part of a larger state, and we have to be able to convince the entire state not just our region, the entire state, that our transportation solution is in the best interest of the region and the state. I think most people would hear what you just said and say, you know what, that, that sounds like a logical thing. Um, yeah. I, I am here as the moderator and host of Flashpoint, but wasn't too long ago I was a, a cub reporter uh, covering city council meetings about 10 years ago. And, and there's some history and there's some context here, Larry. And that mm -hmm. is going back, I mean, before this, but, but most recently in most he recent modern history, the, the debacle over who runs the airport 10 years ago. And there is some bad blood between city council and Raleigh uh, that, that's never really been totally resolved. Now, the current mayor would tell you that she's trying to go a long way in trying to resolve some of that bad blood and make things better. But, but it's not as if um, there's not a history of a relationship between our local city lawmakers and state lawmakers and there being t trust issues. 
What I would tell you is, I think that this new group of legislators and the folks that are in charge at the moment, as well as hopefully, we're gonna see a lot of new city council members. But again, Ben, this isn't about Charlotte. We gotta stop making this about just Charlotte. This has to be about the region. And if this is gonna be a regional approach, it's time for Charlotte to put down its arms and say, we wanna work what's in the best interests of the region. And the General Assembly would be, is more than happy to take part in that. And the thing that ha we have to remember is, Every, every new issue is a new opportunity to provide positive and collaborative solutions for our citizens, for the folks that, that, we, that all of these folks are supposed to work for. So saying that the Charlotte Airport issue was an issue that was one in the past, I agree, yeah, it was, but that's a different issue. It's time to move on to something more important. And for us to be able to come up with a comprehensive solution that would likely involve most of the regional partners as well as the legislature, you can't have that kind of operational pride. You gotta be able to say that issue's sitting over there Okay, that's, that issue is that issue, but we're gonna work with you on this issue because we need to work together. People want to see government work. People are tired of watching governments fight with each other. You know why? Because nothing gets done. And we sit here in this cycle over and over and over again. It's gonna be so important that, and, and think about how great it would be to help heal the Raleigh-Charlotte divide if Charlotte were to invite legislators to the table and help them craft the solution. I mean, that would just be such a great new approach that no one's ever even thought about having. And it's like, oh, well, maybe this might work. This is a new thing. This is a new concept. We have to think about new strategies on how we engage, and we have to be collaborative. And that's the best approach. Hey, we always advocate for a, a effective and efficient government here on, on Flashpoint. Um, what are the chances that you think this, this plan actually takes off? I mean, it, at the earliest, it looks like rail expansion would happen 10 years from now, um, which is inherently one of the problems with this. Is that it's so long range and there's so many variables. Um, are you hopeful that this will take off? I'm hopeful that this will take off, but the only way it takes off, Ben, is if guys like Tarek and I and other local legislators and other local business leaders are at the table. This can't just be the sponsors of the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. This can't just be members of the city council sitting in a room and crafting a financing plan. Because, yeah, they're talking about what the silver line looks like, but, Ben, I've sat through these transportation meetings. They've never even talked about finances and funding. And as you are well aware, in one of their most previous meetings, they couldn't even tell you how much the thing costs. Well, I'm gonna tell you, how much it costs is gonna be far more important than where the stations are. So they've kind of put the cart before the horse there. And we've got to be able to come to the General Assembly and get, and get them to understand that not only is this going to be a huge economic impact to the region, it's going to be able to be fiscally responsible and it will pay for itself. And that's one of the things a lot of folks are really gonna to have to get their arms wrapped around. But again, you gotta to return to the most important point you have to keep your word. The city of Charlotte made a promise to the voters of North Mecklenburg that they would have a heavy commuter rail system. Any solution, and this is the one thing, the very first thing we learned going to Raleigh, any solution must include the red line and the red line must go first. Red line must go first. That is the red line for you guys. All right, yep. Larry Shaheen, thanks for coming on and talking to us. We appreciate it as always. Appreciate it, thank you, Ben. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week's elections pushed back to the spring in Charlotte because of delayed census data. One person running for city council is both a trailblazer and might just be a familiar face. Joining us today on Flashpoint, Billy Madeline. He served on Charlotte City Council uh, a few years ago, served as the first openly gay man on council, running again for the District 1 seat. Billy, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Um, okay. Why do you want this again? You served on council uh, for a brief period a few years ago. Uh, why do you want another crack at it? Well, some of the problems that uh, existed back in 2013 when I was on council still exist today. And 
many of them have gotten worse. And so I kind of, I think maybe I can help make it better. I have a habit of um, making things better when I get involved with them. And so this is my uh, opportunity to offer myself as a candidate for the community. And, and hopefully I'll have an opportunity to help move the needle in the right direction on some really important issues. Well, what do you think, you said some things have gotten worse in that, in that eight year time span since you've been on council. What's some of those? What do you think has gotten worse here in Charlotte? Well, I mean, clearly affordability is a, uh, continues to be a challenge. We've got, uh, you know, to paraphrase, the rent's too damn high. I mean, people in Charlotte just can't afford to live here anymore unless you work in a certain socioeconomic uh, strata. Uh, we're, if Charlotte doesn't figure out how to, to overcome its uh, affordable housing uh, dilemma, uh, then we're going to have a city where everyone that actually does work in Charlotte lives outside the city and 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 has to commute in. Uh, that's a reality in some of our peer cities, and that would be a shame in Charlotte because, of course, it would rob us of the cultural diversity and nuances that have always uh, made Charlotte rich, in my opinion. Uh, the Charlotte 2040 plan, which was passed um, a, a few months ago by uh, City Council, uh, aims to sort of address that to some extent, not not completely. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Does it go far enough? Well, no, but it, it went as far as it could go. In fact, it probably went farther than it can legally go. Um, you know, the, the 2040 plan is a great start, but it's, you know, I've, I've told groups all over District 1, um, it, it, the problem that we have is is as good today as it's as it's ever going to be. Um, it's it's going to get worse. There's nothing we can do to stop it from getting worse. The only thing the 2040 plan can do is slow that down. Uh, we simply don't have the statutory capacity, the, the tools in our toolbox, if you will, from the legislature to effectively change the, the market forces that are driving, uh, driving a lack of affordability in our community. Uh, the folks that said, well, the 2040 plan might make it worse. I, you simply cannot make it worse. There's nothing that exists now to slow gentrification and, and loss of affordable housing down. There simply are no market forces to stop that. There are no regulatory forces that can slow that down or stop it. And so I'm really not sure what they mean when they say you can make it worse because candidly, anyone that builds or develops at this point, if they make a decision that they want to go into a certain area, buy up affordable housing and knock it down and replace it with something that's less or not affordable. There's there's absolutely nothing that can stop them short of a zoning process that itself is completely broken. So then what do you think needs to happen? You get on council in a few months. What, what, what do you think needs to change? Well, council is doing what it can from a policy and, and now we're moving into the regulatory phase. Um, uh, to try to slow it down. And I think that's our obligation at this point is to try to figure out how to stop the loss, slow the loss of, of, of affordable housing, build as much affordable housing as we can, try to create incentives in our in our markets to uh, to have affordable housing components. We're, we're trying really hard to discover what works and what doesn't. So at this point, slowing it down is the best we can do. I think the 2040 plan achieves that. But I just want to make sure people know, and it's not an attempt to depress people, it's just a, an attempt to keep it real, which is to let people know that there, there simply isn't anything city council can do, or the county for that matter, 
to, to stop the loss of affordable housing in Charlotte. It's going to continue to get worse. The only question is, is it going to get worse as rapidly as it's been getting uh, worse, or is it going to get worse more slowly? I think the 2040 plan slows it down substantially, and my hope is that that'll give us enough time, maybe one of these days, to have statutory authority to actually fix the problem. Uh, perhaps uh, an equally or almost equally daunting problem, transit in this uh, city and in this region, and, and how to fix it. Um, current council is trying to tackle that on. It's the other topic we're talking about here on Flashpoint today. Um, do, do you think we are just so far behind the eight ball when it comes to the city regionally, the Carolinas speaking, when you start talking about the, these rail lines and things like that? Um, what's the best solution when it comes to transit across uh, the greater Charlotte area? Well, I'm all in on transit. I think that that the ability to move people around a metropolitan area like Charlotte is 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 an, an essential part of how we do economic development. Of course, the the problem that we have with our transportation uh, system, uh, and particularly when it relates to rail, is that we've we've created a dynamic again absent any statute, statutory ability to do anything different, where we're now having to make a choice between whether or not to take rail and transportation into the areas that need it the most, where uh, where folks um, live densely or where uh, automobile ownership rates might be lower. And But what we know is when we take those rail lines into those communities, what follows those rail lines is money. And uh, developers and builders buy up those corridors before the rail lines ever even go in. And of course, we know what happens after that. Folks who have lived there for generations have to move. And so we've got to figure out how to change that. I don't have the answer, but I do know that right now, our transportation system is caught between a rock and a hard place, uh, between moving people uh, efficiently around the city and between destroying communities that, um, that have been there for generations. Yeah, and it's sort of the combination, the confluence of the two issues we're talking about here, both transit That's right. and transportation as well as, as, well as a, a affordable housing as well. All right, Billy Madeline, running for uh, District 1 State Council. Billy, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. More Flashpoint coming up after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint, an unprecedented initiative underway right now in the Queen City to help tackle racial equality. The city announcing a quarter of a billion dollar pledge to help tackling the issue. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Signs shows us how this money will be spent. It was an event with a who's who's list of attendees from CEOs and leaders of Fortune 500 companies to local politicians and donors, all of them coming together to help make our city more equitable for everyone. In an emotional announcement, Mayor Vi Lyle says the Charlotte community as a whole is seeking solutions to fight inequities. You know, this investment is being called the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative. A $250 million goal to help give more opportunities to black and brown residents. To position Charlotte as the definitive standard of an American city for achieving racial equity. So far, $196 million has been raised from city money to millions of dollars in donations by corporations and donors. The mayor explaining the important reason why. And what we are trying to do is make that opportunity for everyone to be a part of this place that we choose to have as home. 
$80 million will go to Johnson C. Smith University, funding scholarships and other programs to make it a top 10 HBCU. $109 million will go to the Corridors of Opportunity. That money improving employment and upward mobility, job centers and housing services. And $58 million will go towards bridging the digital divide, giving internet and computer access to some 55,000 households that don't have it in the city of Charlotte. It's about us. It is about what we can have in this community for all. When asked how confident they are about raising the remaining $56 million for this initiative, leaders told us they will and to wait until next week. We're told there will be two boards that will see this whole thing out, tracking the money and where it all goes. Hunter Signs, thank you. Hey folks, come interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Let us know what you think of Flashpoint. Let us know if there's something else you think we should cover. And as always, don't forget, you can check out our podcast and make sure you hit subscribe while you're there. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody.